0: Welcome to the next episode of Opportunity Matters. Today we're going to focus on entertainment. And the issues in entertainment deal with both representation and inclusion. And as we've been doing in this series, what we're going to try to do is look at both the problems that exist in this industry as well as some of the solutions or prospective solutions that are out there. We've got two great guests who will join me in the conversation today. First is Nzinga Shaw. I'll be calling her Zing throughout the, the interview. She's the president and CEO of Attack the Glass. She's an experienced C-suite executive with extensive hands-on experience and knowledge spanning diversity, equity, and inclusion, change and crisis management, human capital management, employee relations, talent acquisition, organizational and strategic planning, branding, and community engagement. Previously, Zing was the Recording Academy's chief DEI officer at a pivotal point in the industry, and she was the first chief inclusion and diversity officer at four blue chip organizations, including Edelman, Starbucks, Marsh McLennan, and the NBA. Um, And I've met her uh, along the way, mainly in the sports context, and have enjoyed getting to know her. Further, she's, she's moved around and, and now doing this great independent work. Zing, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ken.
0: And also joining us is Jaya Thomas. She's a sports and entertainment attorney. Those who knew me knew I was going to get an attorney on here sooner or later. With over 15 years of experience, she's a founder of Diverse Representation, a company aimed at increasing and in in the hiring and exposure of black attorneys, agents, managers, and publicists in the sports and entertainment industries. In addition to creating the first ever directory of black attorneys, agents, managers, and publicists in sports and entertainment, Diverse Representation also curates various diversity programs and initiatives throughout the country. Jaya, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So so let, let's, let's start off, uh, just kind of set the stage. Um, Zing, why, why, why don't you, why don't you uh, take us through, I mean, we were in, in kind of this uh, award season, I guess, in terms of the entertainment industry. And this, this has been a flashpoint in some ways to illustrate to those who aren't aware of the absence of diversity in the entertainment industry. But why don't you give us some thoughts on some of the biggest issues that exist in entertainment in terms of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and the opportunities that exist to to address those?
1: It's such a great question, Ken, and it's really what a lot of people are talking about right now. What are the challenges? What are the uh, things that are stopping diversity, equity, and inclusion from moving forward, particularly in the entertainment industry? And there are a couple of things at play. Um, First and foremost, there are a lot of conversations around pay equity Uh, whether it's pay equity regarding gender uh, and women not receiving the same compensation as their male counterparts. We hear about pay equity across race, Um, hearing that white uh, individuals are earning more money than ethnic minorities. Uh, There are also a lot of discussions around representation of the LGBTQ community and how that shows up on the acting side if you're talking about roles or in the sports side, um, prominent athletes that are able to come to the forefront there are also issues around uh, ableism and people who have disabilities not being able to break through the glass and and have representation of their demographic set. So there are a lot of big equity issues in entertainment. Um, I, I wanna underscore the underrepresentation of minorities. It's something that we've been hearing about a lot. Um, this includes on-screen portrayals, behind the scene roles, whether we're talking about actors, writers, directors, producers, key decision makers, and the list goes on. So um, we have a lot of things to grapple with in this field right now. And we've got to be very open and honest about the things that are not equitable in this industry if we're ever gonna get to a point where we're able to move the needle forward.
0: Before I ask you the the same question, Jaya, this this is a very interesting time where some of us are stuttering at using the, the phrase DEI, and where there's some even absence of people listening to what the issues at, actually are, if you if you use that phrase. So, so I really appreciate the, the way that you've broken down the kinds of concerns that that exist, and that it's not just race, it's, it's not just gender. Uh, it, it, it can be someone who's from a poor setting that can't find their way into Hollywood to get get the opportunity that someone that's been raised in Hollywood is 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 able to do, and and that's that's a lot of what we've been trying to get people to think about across these industries and the topics that we're we're talking about in in this series is that the big concern of people that do this kind of work is opportunity and making sure. I mean, it's it's the oldest it's the oldest piece of uh, of the Constitution of the United States, although there were some problems in the initial document, <laughs> the, the idea of opportunity for all, the idea of, of, of equal opportunity and, and access. So, so Jaya, your, um, your, your thoughts on the issues that are there. And, and if you could, you know, tell, us, tell us some about diverse representation.
2: Sure. So, I started diverse representation about four years ago. Um, as a black woman attorney, one of the issues I was seeing in the industry was that a lot of my clients were black. And oftentimes, I was the only black person on their team. So whether that was an athlete, a black athlete, or a black entertainer, you know, I would be their attorney, but their agent would be white, their publicist white, their financial advisor white, their manager white, their entire team would be white. And I felt like this was an issue we weren't talking about. Um, I felt like when we talked about diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industry, I felt like the focus was always on the talent, making sure that the faces we saw on screen were diverse, but paying very little attention to the folks who were representing those people on screen because if you really started to peel back the layers, those spaces were not diverse at all. Um, And so that's why I started Diverse Representation when I started it. I didn't really have a plan for it. I didn't know what it was gonna turn into. I really started because I wanted to get the information out there. I heard a lot of Black actors and a lot of Black athletes say, I don't know any Black agents. I don't know any Black attorneys. So I started as just a database of here are all the Black attorneys, here are all the Black agents, here are all the Black publicists, so that that can no longer be an excuse of I can't find them. Well, now you can, and it's free. Um, So now we're going to have to think of a different excuse. And I just wanted people to be more cognizant about the people they were hiring, you know, that's the other thing, a lot of black talent, you know, they would get on these platforms and preach about diversity and preach about, you know, black this and black that. But then when you look at their teams, there are no black people in sight. So, you know, I just wanted everybody in these spaces to be more cognizant about the people they are hiring um, and the people that were on their teams. So that was the impetus behind starting the company.
0: And, and um, judge I, I don't interrupt, but i'm but i'm I'm flashing on one of our first conversations, our first interactions i I think I, I I told you at the time that I'd written a book about sports agents in in 1989 or 1990 or so, and one of the things that we did in the book was to talk about the number of black agents in this in, in the sports business and how easy it was to count them. I mean how easy how easy you know it was it wasn't problematic and and if you if you went to for example one of the big big deals in in sports is uh, who's representing the the first 10 top 10 draft picks and so often then the there were no African Americans representing any of the draft picks even though the top draft picks were largely African American and so so there's been this and we'll talk about this there there has been this um, dramatic change in some ways, um, and I, I was asking you about how to how to keep track. It was it was very easy to keep track of back then, but it's it's the good thing I guess to say, and, and part of what we want to raise too is some of the positives. There, it's it's not that easy to keep that track of now. There there are numbers there, but and and Zing, you you'll probably have some reaction to this too. The the age old question from people that are hiring is, is I can't find anybody. I can't find anybody. Historically, there was a little bit to that. Now that doesn't exist. So we're at this point where diverse representation has a directory saying you can go into the places that you go into and you say, well, here's, here's a list of people. But we still can't get people to move to make, make the hire. And, it, and it, works, it can work in a lot of different ways too. I mean, it can be uh, women won't hire women it it can be a, a, a black person won't hire a black person that that's a different kind of issue but the idea of the hollywood studio won't hire these diverse people and they can no longer say we can't find them what, what what kinds what kinds of steps are we taking that are are trying to get over that that barrier the barrier well here they are and you're still not hiring them
1: well, first, you know, we have to have a recognition that diversity does not equal deficiency. I think a lot of times when corporate organizations or individuals are thinking about representation and who they're going to bring on board, they believe that if you say the word diversity, you're almost asking them to water down the, the pipeline or the talent pool in terms of the quality that they're bringing to the table. And that is just not a fact. It's not true in, at all. Um, diversity does not equal deficiency. Diversity just means that we are widening the aperture so that we can tap into a variety of talent pools and look at new and unexpected talent. You know, I think one of the core issues around innovation is ensuring that there are so many different points of view that you can really go outside of yourself and outside of the status quo and identify something that is new and unexpected and different. And that's really what diversity aims to achieve. And so I think, Ken, to answer your question when it relates to people and or organizations that say, okay, well, you know, thank you for for being able to materialize these diverse candidates. However, we just can't find a natural fit. Uh, what they're saying is that they're not ready to let go of the status quo. They're not ready to... Look at a different type of leader, or learn from someone who is um, not a person that they're usually used to um, working alongside or working under. And so we've got to really peel back the layers of this onion and figure out what is the real core issue. You know, I've been hearing a lot of uh, rhetoric on social media and traditional media that is very anti-DEI, and you know, it's 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 interesting because you think about what. DEI stands for. Diversity means difference. Um, Equity is about making sure that we are providing opportunity for everyone to reach their maximum potential by giving them tools that are applicable to their needs. And inclusion is making sure that we are curating spaces and environments where people feel like they can belong in their authentic way. And so when we hear uh, phrases like anti-DEI, I like to really challenge the people who are, are challenging our, our, our status. And I say, well, what are you, are you anti the D? Are you anti the E? Are you anti the I? Because when they really have to sit back and think about what they're against, it's not necessarily the, the things that DEI truly stand
0: for. And, and it's a often a, Self-determined definition of what DEI means. It's a, I'm 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 actually anti-acronyms, partly for what we just heard from you. The idea that if you if you say it, that's a lot different from this thing, this DEI thing, that that people have uh, put a bullseye upon. Jaya, what, I know one of the ra- ways that diverse representation has has addressed some of these issues, and and one of the paths to solution is that you have worked with with companies to to help them to figure out ways to, to meet these candidates, to, to, get, get to get to know them better. Part of the earliest of solutions that, that we began to point to in the academic space thinking about this was the idea of, of networking and the idea of getting to know someone and breaking down barriers in that kind of way. Why don't you uh, tell us some about some of the uh, corporate relationships and, and programming that, that you've done?
2: Sure. So, yeah, we have a lot of corporate partnerships with companies like CAA, WME, um, Lionsgate, Warner Brothers Discovery, and a lot of these companies say the same thing, you know, we can't find black candidates and also just as a little asterisk for diverse representation. I know that's our title, but we're very specifically focused on black people in sports and entertainment. We're not as, you know, maybe all encompassing as other organizations, but that was that's something we've heard from a lot of our partners. We just can't find black candidates um, for these spaces. So we've tried a couple different things to help rectify that problem. Um, we have, a couple years ago, we started an executive pipeline program because that was a big complaint we were hearing from a lot of companies. You know, we're able to find black candidates at the entry level, but when it comes to like executives, C-suite, we just can't find them. So we've created... Um, black executive pipeline programs for various facets of the entertainment industry to help equip black candidates to become executives um, and work in conjunction with these studios, with these networks. We've built out resume databases that house thousands of black candidates um, You know that our partners can access when they're looking to hire. Um, we have created a black entertainment career summit um, where it's a three-day program and studios, production companies, networks come in and talk to candidates about job opportunities, how to get your foot in the door, and have on-site interviews. So, honestly, it's been a hodgepodge of a lot of different things. Some things have worked, some things haven't, um, but we've worked with our partners to try try a lot of different things to see what's really going to move the ball forward.
0: Which of, of those that you name, what, what kinds of programs have, have seemed to work best, or have had noted success for you, um, and, and what kinds of things would you or, or are you tweaking? I mean, it's, it's it's an ongoing process. I know part of part of what I, I do a lot of work with the NFL. Part of, part of what we found is you've got to constantly tweak these programs. Wh- whatever whatever it is you think you had right, it's not going to be right tomorrow unless unless you move forward. What 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 are some of the learnings that that you you've had along the way, and things that you would uh, would do to to try to move the needle further?
2: Sure, great question. So I would say probably one of our takeaways is I think sometimes the short-term programs actually work better than the long-term programs. So some of our short-term programs where it's only for like a week or even a weekend, sometimes are, are stronger than the ones that are six months, to a year long. Some of our pipeline programs that we created that were three months long, six months long, those were a little harder to sustain um, just because the interest level waned with participants. It's kind of hard to keep up with people over the course of six months. Um, People change jobs, they move. It's just a little more difficult to keep people focused for a longer period of time as opposed to kind of a short stint. So we have found a lot more success with like shorter programs or events that are only for a couple of days or a week, as opposed to three months, six months or a year. Um, and probably our most successful program in terms of really getting black folks in the door has probably been our black entertainment career summit. There had never been a program specifically aimed at educating black folks on various careers in the entertainment industry And so that has been a really great program. A ton of people have been hired as a result of it because we do on-site interviews. All the networks, production companies who participate do on-site interviews with people attending. um, And we've seen a lot of great success
1: come out of that. Zing, if I can weigh in on- Yeah,
0: please do. Please do.
1: Really quickly, because I think uh, what Jaya is talking about is absolutely right. And I just wanted to build on it. When I was the global head of diversity at Starbucks, we used to do a lot of work that was intersectional in nature. So what I mean is that we would um, cross collaborate across demographic sets and really use our employee resource groups as a a means of getting representation across the board, but we would create projects for different ERGs to collaborate on together. I remember one project in particular where there were three demographic sets that came to the table. Um, It was the the Black Partner Network, which were um, employees comprised in the Black um, and African diaspora communities, um, the LGBTQ community, and also the Pan-Asian community. And those three groups came together around an innovation challenge that Starbucks was spearheading um, as it relates to new products that they were looking to put on the shelves for customers. And what I can tell you is that when the work was intersectional and people really had to um, spend a lot of time with one another in communities that they were not used to collaborating in, there were a lot of insights and aha moments that came out of that. And, and so we realized that a lot of the way that DEI is perceived, um, unfortunately, is, is perceived in, uh, let's call it a, a stereotypical fashion surrounding segregation. Because when you think about ERGs, the nature of ERGs can feel very much like segregation. You know, the, the Blacks are going to have their group and the LGBTQ will have their group and the disabled will have their group. And so if we're not figuring out ways to leverage each of these demographic sets and, and help them come together in ways that they can be supportive of one another while also standing proud in the skin that they were born in, then we're really missing the mark. So I think a lot of times what organizations are are doing is keeping the status quo surrounding the, the mindset of DEI being segregationist versus a collaborative community.
0: Seeing so have you found that in the in employee research group ERG topics is, is certainly one that it sounds like it's it crosses over. But have you found anything that's really distinct about entertainment versus the other industries you've been in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think that the entertainment industry is very unique for a variety of, of reasons. It's unique because it's the one industry that we look at to glean some sense of joy and hope for a variety of communities. I mean, if you think about the pure nature of what entertainment sets out to do, it, it sets out to um, keep people engaged during times that are troubling. It, it sets out to make people laugh even when the world can um, certainly throw things at us that are hard to digest. Um, it, it is It makes, you know, when you think about athletes and what they represent, it makes us hopeful that you can you know, work hard, put your best foot forward, collaborate with teammates and, and um, reach the sky. Sky is the limit. So I think the entertainment industry is very different than a lot of industries. Anytime I go to a sporting event, I look across the arena and I'm always floored at how many different types of people are convening in one space, excited to cheer for one entity, the home team. Um, and so you look around and, and there are black people and white people and Asian and Latino. And then you have disabled and LGBTQ and old and young. And it really is just a beautiful array of of what humanity looks like when you think about who is coming together to be entertained. So when you think uh, about your industry uh, in, in entertainment collectively and, and who it can bring together, it's very important for the industry to recognize that representation matters. And having an array of people that um, we can look at as an on the field product or on screen product is just as important as who you're attracting to your venue.
0: You know, we've got a couple minutes left and, and Zing, I wanna make sure I, I ask you this question cause I know you think about these things on, on the big level from um, the, the C-suite kind of, kind of space. You know we are in this moment, and and not everyone understands that this is part of the DEI space too. But but what is it that that companies? What kinds of conversations are taking place about uh, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism in the the top levels of these companies? And and, and I, I guess more specifically, what what kinds of conversations should be taking place, and what kinds of actions should should they take?
1: I'm so glad you brought this topic up because it certainly is front um, of mind for all of us uh, that are witnessing what's happening in the world. And I would just say that companies um, have been addressing anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, particularly in the entertainment industry, um, by a, a combination of things which all involve awareness, education, representation, also policy changes. So there is progress that is being made. I think there's a lot of work that can still be done, but some of the things that I've seen in entertainment are um, with industry stakeholders, including studios and production companies. They're implementing DNI initiatives to promote representation of diverse communities, including Jewish and Muslim individuals. And these uh, some of these these efforts include targeted hiring practices, mentorship programs, the inclusion of diverse voices in decision making processes. So that's huge. Also, educational programs. There are a lot of efforts to educate industry professionals on the nuances and impacts of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, and they have been implemented. So training programs and workshops are addressing stereotypes, cultural sensitivity, the importance of accurate representation and storytelling. And then last, I'll just say that there have been a lot of responses to controversies that we've seen play out on social media and in traditional media. And so there are instances of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia in the entertainment industry um, often met with a public outcry. So in response, industry professionals, studios, networks are issuing public statements condemning this behavior. They're taking corrective action. They're reevaluating content and severing ties with individuals involved. So I think this is these are topics that are going to be front- um, and center for a long time.
0: Well Zing, Jaya, we, we have run out of time as I told you told you what happened. Um, you know the important thing I want to, want to close with is Jaya made a, a, a great point about every organization can't do everything and if it's, it's it's the little things that can make the change come about if we have enterprises like diverse representation working, Uh, on on blacks getting access, we have other organizations working on on other folks, and if we have those who can take on the mega mega space, that's important too. So thank you to you both. Uh, Look forward to everybody joining us on our next episode of Opportunity Matters.
1: I'm Farida Griffith, Managing Director for the Wharton Coalition for Equity and Opportunity. In partnership with Wharton Works, led by Professor Damon Phillips' Business Roundtable and Second Chance Business Coalition, we're bringing together business leaders, academics, state leaders, and justice-impacted communities for discussions on creating pathways to sustainable employment for individuals who are formerly incarcerated. To learn more and register, go to CEO dot wharton dot upenn dot edu